0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We haven't had a king in this country since about 1783 in the Battle of Yorktown. It has been a long time since this has technically been a kingdom. And we use different words in this country, commonwealth, democracy, republic words that harken back to classic, classical times. Most of the founding fathers were, were scholars of the classics, they, they studied, they were fluent in Greek and Latin, they studied those, those early church and um, classical figures, but they also studied um, Hebrew, and Hebrew, Hebrew scholarship came about just a few years before the founding of this country, and it was actually very influential on the founders of this country, they didn't just study the language Hebrew, but, Hebrew, but the governmental structures uh, in, in the Hebrew Bible especially under Moses and Joshua and they used the language of republic to describe what was going on there this took place especially during the English civil war because the people in England a lot of like strict very very religious people were trying to justify overthrowing the king and trying to understand what that meant and so instead of so they looked to the Hebrew scriptures to find um, reasons and justifications for it, and the reality that monarchy may be a sin, and monarchy may be something that you fight against. And in fact, in the, in the translation of the King James Bible, the King James, James I, James Stewart, who is very fluent in Greek and Hebrew and Latin, um, the passages he was most concerned about translation were in first, king, first and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles and the language about the Pharaoh because he didn't want a lot of negative language about kings going on in the Bible that he was going to print for his country. These were lively debates, deeply um, invested in the, in the creation of the United States. But today we live in a country without a king and we also say in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in a world without these ancient monarchies. What does it mean? How should we understand Christ's kingdom? My friends, for the season of Lent, we are slowly reading through the Lord's Prayer. These familiar or unfamiliar words are are a radical call to seek God's will in this world and to understand God's vision for ourselves and for those around us. And today we're looking at those, those words, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Anytime you mention a kingdom, you mention politics. And I don't think, it's not, it's not like this is the most comfortable thing to talk about politics. It's one of those things when you go home for Thanksgiving and you see your uncle and your cousins and you just want to bring up politics immediately. And it just brings the room together. <laughs> People you haven't seen from all over. It's pretty, pretty divisive. Pretty divisive. I mean, some churches are very into it, but they, they mostly want to, you know, promote their own secular view of politics and use the church as a marketing mechanism for that view. Christ becomes a tool to further your worldly ambitions. And the history of the church has seen this many times. Modern people who try to promote these values are no different, but to speak of a kingdom is to speak of politics, because politics is how people connect and relate to each other, how people are organized, how we are organized. And in, in the 1760s and 1770s, the people in the 13 colonies were really struggling with how best to organize themselves. There was a budgetary crisis in England after, after the, the Seven Years' War, after the French-Indian War and Parliament realized that the American colonists were not being taxed very much, um, as, as not nearly as high as people in England. And they thought, hey, it's an easy way to get funds. You know, we're not really taxing them much. What if we, what if we raise their taxes a little bit? And as every government who's ever raised anybody's taxes a little bit finds out, people don't like that. <laughs> they, they react. But we have these people who are trying, trying to figure out what does it mean to be faithful to Scripture, to God, and to be, understand how to be good and support the king and others trying to be faithful to Scripture and God and to denounce the king. And denouncing the king was a pretty radical thing. They had to deal with a lot of biblical arguments against revolution, especially Paul in his letter to the Romans, chapter 13, where he says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Some, some people today have even said the founding fathers were disobedient to the Bible because they rebelled against King George. George. However, many people in the colonies found it easy to preach against the king by looking to the Old Testament, by looking to the prophets. Many of them were the descendants of Puritans who had won the first part of the English Civil War and lost the second part, um, and they had found refuge in this country. And I am showing an amazing level of restraint and not going into a 20-minute tirade about the English Civil War, so just (laughs) just, just, just share that. There's, there's, when we look to the Bible and we look to kings and rulers, there's plenty of imagery about them throughout. Imagery of abusive kings and tyrants. It's a pretty unifying thread throughout the Old Testament. Pretty much wherever there is a king or a ruler or emperor, there are his flaws are wide open. I think Josiah is the only king... Um, who doesn't have a ton of flaws. Everyone else is just like, it's all flaw. You got, you got David, tons of flaws. Solomon, tons of flaws. Their children, nothing but flaws. All they're wearing is flaws. It's pretty bad. Uh, there's not a lot of good things to be said for these forms of government. And so when, when the founders looked to the Old Testament for inspiration, they looked to Moses as the lawgiver, as in this, a way to understand Republican ideals of people working together under God. They saw a holy nation that didn't have a king. And yet Jesus preaches, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In the Lord's Prayer, it is a political claim. It is not a religious one that you can hold on to completely separate in your life, as if you have, you're you living two lives, or you have two hats, and you put on your church hat, and you put on your citizen hat, and you put on your like, pickleball hat, and whatever other hats you have. No, we don't, we don't change like that. We're not as fluid as that. To pray God's will be done, is a political act. And I say this is provocative because Jesus is trying to be pro- provocative. Like, Jesus provokes us into faithfulness. And, and the word he uses, basilii, is one of those Greek words you can't, there's no um, ambiguity about it. Like, it's kingdom. Like, that's, that's what the word means. To call for the coming of God's kingdom is to call to displace the politics of this world. This world is run on scarcity. There are limited resources, and the people who possess those resources and control those resources have great power. And Christ is calling for something new. One of the ways I always like to think about this is, if you remember from you know, elementary school usually, it was like the story of Archimedes, and Archimedes was the great mathematician who was trying to figure out how to measure the volume of an object that he couldn't like use string to measure. And he was so confounded and confused, and then he was taking a bath, and he noticed how his mass displaced the water in the bathtub. And he realized he could measure the volume of the object by putting it in the bathtub because of the displacement of the water. And he jumped out of the bath and he ran down the streets of Syracuse screaming, Eureka, Eureka, naked. I found it. I found it. I found it. That's where Eureka comes from. It's a naked Greek guy in in Syracuse, um, Sicily. But, But it's this displacement. And this is what Christ is calling us, is for God's kingdom to displace This earthly kingdom, like a body in water, displaces the water. Displaces the water. The calling of the kingdom of heaven to come displaces the kingdom that is already here. Whether or not they have a king or a governor or a president or a prime minister, they're displaced because they're not eternal. There's no president in heaven. There are no governors. There are no city councils. There are no elections. There are no any any of those things. No mayors. All these are all tools for a time, such as this. God's will displaces, as well, the will of the world. But it doesn't displace our will. And this is the key thing that what's going on. When we say, your will or thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, we ask God's will to merge with our own, to transform it, to cleanse it of, of the broken desires we have, desires of destructiveness, desires of, of, of doubt and pain to heal our hearts. When was the last time you witnessed the way you understand the world displaced? Because that's what it means to have the kingdom of God come. Is it the way you understand how the world works is displaced and replaced by another way? When was the last time you witnessed your worldly desires displaced by heavenly desires? This is the call every time you pray the Lord's Prayer it's a radical call, an enormous call, as big a claim as anything you can make in your life. It is a call to a changed life. And sometimes by repetition, we make this call ordinary and plain. We domesticate God's will to fit inside our own self-conceptions. We domesticate God's kingdom to make it fit inside the status quo that we live by in this world. The kingdom of God is not, is not vague. It's concrete. We see what it looks like in the Sermon on the Mount, where, where the Lord's Prayer takes place, what God's kingdom looks like in reality, and we see how far away we are from it so often. And the Beatitudes, especially, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do we feel like the poor in spirit are blessed in the, our world right now? If they are not, we are not yet in God's kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the world. Are the the meek being blessed right now? Over the last 2,000 years, many Christians tried to bring about the kingdom of heaven by bringing about their own kingdom and calling it Christian. This is not what Jesus is talking about. To pray, thy kingdom come, is to let go of ambitions, to power, and authority, and offer to Jesus all that we have. Since we desire power, authority, and autonomy, that is the essence of human pride, but had Jesus exercised power first, we would have followed him only out of admiration for his power. We would have followed him hoping primarily to gain a share of that power. Give me some of that good stuff, Jesus. And the logic of the cross is that victory does not go to the strong, but to the just, To those who submit to the justice and the power of God. To pray, thy will be done, is to let go of ambitions to self righteousness and goodness apart from God. To pray on earth as it is in heaven is to pray that all of the cosmos is unified under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Pray that God is here for us. The Lord's Prayer is a radical prayer. My brothers and sisters, in the season of Lent, may you open yourself up to its power. May you seek to have your world displaced a little bit. May you seek to be transformed here and now. Pray, come, Holy Spirit. Pray the kingdom, come, thy will be done. If a prayer of conversion, it is a prayer of conversion and transformation. The life on earth is not this waiting period until we die. But the life of heaven may be on earth. Come, Holy Spirit. May we love as Jesus loved. May we sacrifice as Jesus sacrifices. May we give as Jesus gives. May we see the destruction of the world as contrary to the will of God and work for God's justice in this place. May we not be satisfied in ourselves and in the status quo and in the season of Lent as we discern and pray as a church, may we pray God's will be done consistently. May we be willing to look back again at our own preconceptions and assumptions about what we think God is telling us to do and be open to heaven displacing our life on earth, even our politics. God is making all things new. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, May these words of yours be fresh and strange and transformative for us this day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.